0: Welcome to episode 416 of the Virtual Couch. I'm your host Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. and let's get to today's show. First, I would just like to point you to the link tree in the show notes or just go to tonyoverbay.com and sign up for my newsletter or you can find a link to that in the link tree link in the show notes. The newsletter is where you can read about all the the new the new courses and releases and projects. So I would love for you to just trust me, subscribe to the newsletter. And actually, for my opening this week, I want to read a little bit from my newsletter because there's some very big news, some things that are happening in my life that I've been sitting on and I'm excited to talk about before we get to my interview. But maybe as a little bit of a hook, let me tell you about my guest. Her name is Marla Christensen. And if that last name sounds familiar, Marla is married to my other therapy associate, Nate Christensen, who has been on my podcast several times and who is definitely a listener favorite. And Nate and Marla, I think, simply said, are creating quite a dynamic duo. They're both therapists. They both have a lot of lived experience, but really both of them found this work later in their career, which is what I did as well. And when you find it later, and it's something that you have felt drawn to, and you've gone through all the yeah, buts of yeah, but what if, I, what if I'm not good at it? What if I don't finish getting my master's degree? What if I can't find a place to hang my shingle? All those things, you work through all those. It's something that you've already had careers. You already know what you, the things are that you didn't necessarily appreciate about it. And you have that lived experience, then man, you are ready to do this work. So they're really good therapists. And if you're somebody who has been struggling trying to find a therapist and i know i don't do a good enough job promoting this but they both are in a position at at the time of this recording where they have a few openings and that's not always the case with good therapists because i love that we're reducing the stigma around people that seek help for their mental health but the only i won't call it a negative or downside let's say the challenge to that is that i there is currently i think a little bit of a What a drought in therapists and especially really good therapists. And so I would highly recommend these two. So reach out to me at contact at TonyOverBay.com and I can put you in touch with either one of them. And I really recommend that you subscribe to their podcast. It's called Working Change. It's on the Virtual Couch Podcast Network. And you'll just hear they interact really well together. Uh, They both, they are humorous. They both are really passionate about the things that they know. They're open to the things that they don't know that they don't know. So that that is all. Those are wonderful qualities to have in therapists. So says this marriage therapist. So before I get to the interview with Marla, though, I just want to read a bit from my newsletter. And I, I think that you will see why. This is the newsletter that went out yesterday. So I just feel a little bit silly. Uh, Quoting myself in my newsletter, I said, uh, if you've been paying attention to pretty much any of my podcasts over the last few months, you may have noticed that I have a few favorite phrases. We're all just doing our best and you don't know what you don't know. But my true favorite is that I'm just being and doing. In my true fashion, I've been doing some things in preparation for some being that I'm excited to experience. So I just wanted to catch people up on all that. So what have I been doing? I've been in the process of getting a home ready to sell in California and buying one in Arizona. Why? Because I'm just being, or soon to be, a grandpa, which is wild and bizarre. If I'm being honest, it's really wild to leave behind a home that you've been in for almost a quarter of a century and away from an area that you've been in for 30 years plus. But as I've spent some time considering it all, I really found that my biggest takeaway has been simple, but really profound gratitude. And I'm really grateful for the work that I've been able to do on myself, on on my own, to, to be truly grateful for the present moment, what is happening right now. I, I'm grateful that I can accept and appreciate that all of the experiences that have brought me to where I am right now at this moment, they are here, they have happened. There's no need to go back and ruminate or worry about them. They, they happen. But coming straight on the heels of that gratitude are also a bunch of other feelings, and some are more comfortable than others. Turns out that I am also extremely excited, nervous, I'm anxious, I'm curious, I'm intrigued, all those things by this next adventure. And I didn't put this in the newsletter, but that's part of, of that emotional, becoming more emotionally mature, is I don't have to, it doesn't have to be, it's the greatest thing ever, period, don't ever say a thing that it's not the concept of change and it also doesn't have to be man I'm sure it's going to be crummy and bad and I can't believe I'm doing it because we're allowed to have a whole wealth of emotions of thoughts of feelings because that's really what it feels like to be human but here is a secret truth that I guess is not so secret since I talk about it often on my podcast I really feel like life truly just is one giant exercise in differentiation meaning simply that as the more I interact and go and do in life Then I'm going to experience things that are going to bring me emotions and feelings and thoughts and that those are all me things in a good way. There are opportunities for me to check this out. What are these thoughts and feelings I'm having and then grow and be able to separate my own thoughts and feelings from those that maybe others are projecting onto me, trying to manipulate me with control me because that's a them issue. And so the more we go and do, the more we're going to learn and experience. I can always stay where I am, which would be okay. It really would because I want everyone to know that if you're saying, okay, I'm not moving anywhere, that's all right. That's, I mean, I'm talking about my experience of me thing, but I have learned that for me, as I've come to a place in my life of gratitude and and acceptance, that as I keep being and doing, I know that every, and I mean every interaction I have moving forward is that chance to self-confront, feel the feelings, be grateful to be on the journey, and I know I'm going to grow. I have confidence in that. Now, it's going to be uncomfortable at times, but that also means it's going to be amazing. It's that polarity that you got to feel some of the, the challenges to really be able to appreciate the good. And slowly but surely, what it feels like to be me based on all of my own lived experiences, and yeah, I'm talking about you, implicit memory, is somebody that's pretty excited about the chance to lean into some uncertainty, and even with a big old side of discomfort. So stay tuned, because a move like this will definitely bring a lot of additional content for any and all of my podcasts. So I hope you'll come along for all the fun, the funny, the meaningful, definitely the uncomfortable that I know I'm going to find along the way. So Arizona, here I come. So with that said, let's get to today's interview with Marla Christensen. And I believe we cover this in the interview, but she has a master's of arts in clinical psychology from Pepperdine. She is an associate marriage and family therapist or an AMFT, and even more letters by her name, an associate professional clinical counselor or an APCC. She's uh, an amazing human being. She's funny. Oh, and the audio, if you hear a time or two where it might seem a little bit choppy, there was a bit of a delay. There was a little bit of a lag. Thank you, internet. Maybe somebody was cleaning the internet that day. And so we were talking over each other a little bit. So I actually went through and spent some time editing myself, which is really, it is very satisfying. It's a very fun thing to do. But so I cut out a lot of my own things that I'm saying, just trying to validate, oh yeah, that's a great point. Cause Marla is making great points. But so if you catch a little bit of, but there's one or two parts where it might seem a tiny bit choppy. That's because I wanted to make sure that we we're here in Marla and not me going, yeah, yeah, that's great. Tell me more because uh, those things are, are they implied. So, Let's get to this interview with Marla Christensen. Hey, Marla. Hi. How are you? Welcome to the virtual couch.
1: Well, thank you. This is exciting.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm giddy because Marla is a new associate that is working with me and she's ready for clients. And man, you are so eager. And I want to jokingly say, you remind me of a young me, Marla, just enjoying yeah, I, this whole thing. I love this. So yeah. talk about that. Who are you and what have you been doing uh, up until now?
1: This This feels like a dating thing, but you know, I'm <laughs> Marla Christensen. I <laughs> just got my master's in clinical psychology from Pepperdine University. I have been registered as an associate, both in marriage and family therapy, as well as professional critical counselor. So... Mm. I'm excited. I love this job. It doesn't feel like a job. It just it okay. it's what I would think my husband says I was born to do in some yeah. ways. So this is exciting to start like a dream that I've had forever to do this. Okay.
0: Can I, so. can I tell you that I love everything I do and I was writing earlier today just about the concept of before you find the thing that you really like, you know, you just assume that Okay, this is just the way it is, and I'm just going to slog through whatever the yeah. career job it is, and and so I found myself several years into this where people were saying, "Well, if you really, if you're doing something you love, then eventually you won't love it anymore." And I would always say, "Yeah, you're right." And then one day I realized, actually, not because I love this and I've been doing it for almost 20 years. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I feel that from you. And yeah. what'd you do earlier in your life? Or tell me about your early uh-huh. Marla, the early years. <laughs> Marla, the
1: early years. So I got married pretty young, and I was a stay-at-home for about 20 years, and then there was a force, and so it propelled me into this idea of what do I want to do with my life, you know, and Mm -hmm. I had a lot of interesting options, but I felt very strongly that I wanted to do what I was passionate about, and I wanted to have a career and not just a job, and Mm. so I decided to sacrifice (laughs) for almost a decade to go through the schooling that it would require to do what I really want to do, and it led me back to therapy. You know, and doing that with my husband eventually is just the dream that I've always, you know, melts my heart. In, in some yeah.
0: Okay. I love it. Uh, yeah. So Nate Christensen is my other associate and mm-hmm. Nate's been on the podcast a lot. And you guys have a podcast yeah. together. Talk about that. What's What's your podcast and what do you guys talk about? What's that like for you?
1: It's a working change. And when my husband came home and said, you know, hey, I think we should start this podcast. It's for mental health, general mental health. Issues. I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I'm still <laughs> in school. What are you what are you talking about? And yeah. it has been really fun to do just different various topics of mental health because you get to get in and really explore that topic mm-hmm. and learn so much. And so it's been a really great opportunity to catapult into some other areas because this is such a broad Area mental health.
0: Yeah. Have you found a population at this point that you particularly are more fond of? Or are you just getting reps in in a lot of different areas, or what's that been like?
1: Yeah, I was at a site before that we got everything and anything from like birth to death, and so mm. whatever came in, I seemed to collect a lot of grief and loss. Thus, our topic today. Yeah. Um. So it was really interesting. I up to this point, it was like super scared. Like most people, I don't know if I want to talk about yeah. grief. I don't want to sit with people who have had grief or lost. but it's been really good. And I really find that I enjoy it mm. and not because it's like a heavy thing, but because there's so much potential for growth and mm. to sit with somebody in some of their darkest moments and see them work their way out of that is great. I feel yeah. really blessed to hear about the journey my clients are on.
0: Okay. I like that you said that. I I just yesterday was asked by somebody that was saying it must be so difficult to hear everybody talk about all their stuff. And I really did say that I actually find it uh, an honor to be able Mm -hmm. to be that person that somebody will feel like they can open up to. And then, like you say, you love this work. So we're out there on a day-to-day basis trying to figure out the ways to help people through the things that they don't know that they don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah absolutely Um,
0: okay so no offense to any young therapists out there because they are wonderful and we need more therapists right now as the mental health stigma is we're lessening that but i do find that the fact you were a stay-at-home mom for a long time you've been through a divorce you went back Mm -hmm. to school is such a helpful thing because i do find that i I didn't get into therapy till i was in my uh, mid-30s and it it does help to have some life experience have you noticed that in your work so far
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I always try to stay humble. There's so much to learn. But it was interesting watching some of my fellow students who were younger and had not experienced some of these things, learning about some of this stuff. And, you know, I'm like, I have seven kids. (laughs) And they were like, what? (laughs) You know, so to understand and talk about like children, I understand the development because I have anywhere from a toddler all the way up to an adult, you know, married. Yeah. So it's, I've been through it all. So I, when I'm learning about it, I'm like, Oh, I get that. I understand that. And so there's a level of understanding, although I will say everybody experiences it completely different to understand that I can't say, Oh, you're going to experience it like me would be really naive of me. And,
0: but it does give a little bit more
1: clarity to a lot of things.
0: Yeah. And and that's why I'm so excited to work with you because that answer right there. I'm almost shocked at how many therapists do almost we get the stigma that we get into it to fix ourselves, which turns out I, I doing more than I thought I was. But the part where you must do it the Mm -hmm. way I did it it is I'm wanting to make it a me thing. And so I love that you're saying that it's okay. It helps to have that experience, but of course they're going through something different. And that right there, Marla, I think is, I I just, you assume maybe that all therapists are that way, but then I I hear that people that have been to therapists that are saying, well, this is the way you need to do it. Or I'm the expert, Mm -hmm. you know, those sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. I think just yesterday, I released episode 415. Mm -hmm. So this one will probably be 416, 417. And I'm only saying that because the last time I talked about grief and loss was episode four, I think. Mm -hmm. So I...
1: I, Right? We're due. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Because Nate was like, why are you going to talk about this? You know? And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I think everybody needs this. They do.
0: So I'll sit back and here and I want you to drive. I really think the the only thing that I have to offer (laughs) is... I. I want to know your opinion of the Elizabeth Kubler Roth's model. And because I know that's, but but other than that, I just want to sit back and and have you kind of take us on your train of thought.
1: Nate and I were sitting talking about this and he was like, Marla, this is so dark and and whatever not. And I said, the more I'm sitting with clients dealing with this issue, the more I'm realizing that like Benjamin Franklin said, there's only nothing certain but death and taxes. And I really think that he should have added also loss because we all sustain loss in our life in various Mm. forms, however small you are to to death. And so this topic, I would say, everybody be open to just looking at this from maybe even a loss perspective and not so much a a death perspective. Um, But I really would love people to normalize it. We Mm. all grieve, we all lose, um, we all have loss in various forms in our lives. And so understanding that it's a human thing and how do I get through it And how do I move on in a graceful and growth-oriented mindset, I think is super important. So there's a lot of terms that come with grief. And I was amazed when I started digging into it, like, what are all these terms mean? Mm -hmm. But there's like bereavement, and bereavement is like the experience of loss of a loved one. And then there's mourning, which mourning is is like, how do I culturally practice that loss? Because let's Mm. face it, there are different cultures. We don't all experience death in the same way or loss in the same way. So that's something to like keep in mind. And then there is the act of grief itself, which is like our reaction, the individual reaction that we have. And that's like psychological, that's emotional, physical even. And so it can be very individualized to each person. And then there are types of grief. And I was like, what? It just keeps going and going, it seems. But there's anticipatory grief. There are those individuals that know that a loss is coming. And they have to deal with all the emotion of like, I am losing this person or I'm losing this thing or this job. And how do I deal with it? And then there's sudden and unexpected loss. And those can be very difficult. There's loss in this, in a form of suicide, completed suicide, and how to deal with that. There's violent and traumatic loss. So there's just all these different types of loss and grief. And then we have stages of grief in, in some okay. form. We have what we would call like acute grief which is, this just happened to me. And these are my responses right now to this. And then we slowly integrate into integrated grief, which is like, I've taken this grief and I've moved it into my life. And I am now incorporating that grief into my life. And then we have the sticky one that's a little more troublesome, which is prolonged grief, which in our field, it's anywhere past 12 months. I'm not, I have this severe reaction still, and I'm not integrating this. I can't get out of bed. I can't move on. I am thinking about this loved one all the time, or I'm thinking about this loss and it's consuming me. I'm not moving forward in any kind of healthy way. And so it's good to know where you're at in that journey too. You feel differently in each one of those parts.
0: I really like where you're going with that because I wasn't I know the terms. I didn't really know the necessary definitions. And I know, I think Nate's probably told you a lot. I love acceptance and commitment therapy. And that's saying Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. you're the only version of you and you're going through life for the very first time as you. So you think and feel and behave the way you do because that's how you are. And so I'm noticing that as you say those things too, the one when you bring up, if somebody is still hanging on to grief after a year, because I've had some of those clients and that one is hard to not make Mm -hmm. it a me thing because I I feel like, They Mm -hmm. are, they're still stuck. I feel like they could be moving forward when I know that that's a me thing, but sometimes I want to say, but, but I'm right about this one. Have you run into, as you're working with people through grief, what, I don't know what does go into that. And when is it, of course, this is the way it works versus the, I, I don't know.
1: It is so individualized. And I'll get into that a little bit later as far as like what okay. goes into it. Okay. Because there's a lot of different aspects that feed into grief and like what that looks like and loss and what it does to you. And it's more of a biological sense mm. of the components that feed into that. But I will say that later life grief and bereavement uh-huh. cases, like if you're older and you've lived with that partner for like 50 years, oh. when one partner dies, The other partner, there's this widow effect, they call it. So the odds are twice as high for a man to die within six months and one and a half times greater for a woman in that first six months. You just don't rebound as easily, And it all has to do with the biology of our brain. And Mary Uh Frances O'Connor has been doing wonderful work in like the brain and what the brain does in that. And we can talk about a little bit about that in a little bit if you want.
0: Okay. Um, yeah.
1: But with loss, we all feel this. Everybody mm. loses stuff. Like I like to say, like my toddler, you know, if he can't find her shoes, the end of the world.
0: She's yeah. lost
1: something. We we have uh-huh. lost. My teenagers, if they lose their favorite shoes, I don't Our family loves shoes. You know, <laughs> it again, it's an issue. But yeah. loss is sustained and felt like very impactfully by all mm. people. And there's no right way to do it. There's no set pattern. The more I work with this, the more, as you can see, there's lots of different things as far as like you should hit all of these stages, like Kubler-Ross says. Right. But some of us do and some of us don't. Yeah. How I do it is going to be different than how Tony does it.
0: Yeah. So is, like you are saying, so there is not a wrong way, but yet there's a part of me that feels like the avoidant way, there must be a better way. But Mm -hmm. then I know it goes into somebody's whole The way that they saw it modeled the way they if if anybody's talked about grief Mm -hmm. or loss or so, then I think if somebody is avoidant doesn't want to deal with it, then I I do like to throw out the maybe now's the time to do a little change in the family dynamic or system and allow people to start to feel.
1: Yeah. So the really key thing is, is that loss permeates like all parts of our life. We don't think Mm -hmm. about that. Like when you lose like a job, you're losing like financial security. You might be losing your community. You might be losing a social aspect. You might be losing the physicalness of somebody else being close to you. So it, with loss, like even divorce is a loss. Mm. You know, it's a loss of a relationship. It's a loss of a person in your fact. Loss can hit every part of your life. And so some losses are small and some losses are bigger. There's an interesting conversation between some people who like to say that like divorce is the same as like someone dying, you know, and mm. I've sat with many people who are like, that's not the same. And yeah. it, it is not the same, but they both are losses that are sustained and they both have huge impacts on the individual. It's our sense of self. I think that it's really affecting because we all have these ways of looking at ourselves. I see my sense of agency and, and all who I am, these schemas that I've told myself, the stories I've told myself about myself. And when we lose something, it rattles us to the core of like, who am I? How do I relate with things again? You know, how do I fit into this if I don't have this? Mm-hmm. And, and so we see that with death and we see that with loss of a partner, um, a job, you know, a dream, a child, anything.
0: Yeah. The part with the the stages, I, I mm-hmm. often look at those as yeah. a muse. I mean, it's at least something to interact with. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I like when you say that there's no right way. Do you find people yeah. though coming into you and saying, I'm not doing it the right way, or I know I should be doing it different? Do you <laughs> run into that?
1: I have. I have run into people yeah. who have sat in my office and said, okay, I'm here. What do I got to do to fix mm-hmm. this problem? <laughs> like, what do uh, I got to do yeah. to get through the, this grief? And then the first thing I tell them is like, you're going to hate me. And I'm, I'm okay with that. But I'm here to tell you that this takes as long as it takes. Yes. There um, there's no right way to do it. And it's going to be all over the place. It's going to be messy. It's going to be chaotic. And it's not like going to the doctor where he says, hey, take these five pills, one every day for five days, and you're going to be fine in five days. Mm-hmm. You may be fine in a month, and it may take you years. It, we just okay. don't know. You know, digging in and getting through it feeling those feelings are beneficial and helpful. And it's those people that can really do that and kind of let go that I see the most growth with rather than Uh. the people who are like, I don't want to do this.
0: Yeah. The feeling, yeah. the feelings, I think, is a, a interesting one because uh, I always thought I knew what that was like until mm-hmm. I experienced the pain of a daughter of mine getting in a very serious car accident, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. I realized, oh yeah. man, that's what that feels like. And then I felt like I needed to apologize mm-hmm. to every client for the last fifteen years, where you know, oh yeah, welcome yeah. those feelings in and invite them to come with you. And then when they they just start crippling, then I realized, <laughs> oh man, you you have yeah. to just that you just have to have them. And, and that mm-hmm. that's that was hard.
1: Yeah, and there there are several like grief theories, and that reminds me of Dr. Lois Tonkin. She talks about how we don't get over grief, and it just doesn't go away. Like some people are like, "Oh, mm. you'll get over it. It'll it'll, okay. it'll, it'll go away in time. Time will heal it." And it, we don't. Grief is always there. It stays. Mm. It doesn't diminish. But we grow. We expand. We grow around. Like that. it is what she believes. And so you will grow bigger, your life will grow bigger in some ways, but that grief will always be there. That loss that what you feel will always be there. We just expand and like love that
0: still accepting the fact that I am a human. And if I have those yeah. feelings, because we were there by my daughter recently and she's pregnant and I'm going to be a grandpa and I'm super excited, mm-hmm. but then it makes me super sad of that. Oh my gosh, if something had happened and then all of a sudden I found myself getting really yeah. sad and I had to make room for that. So I love what you're saying. Cause I think the growth around the, it is there and nothing is wrong with me. Yeah. And I, and I like what you're saying. Cause I would love to say even, I know I'm a therapist. I should not say this, but the, uh, yeah, but I can't wait till it's gone. But man, I, I'm now imagining yeah. I could probably conjure that up at any point and that's okay.
1: And it's true. You know, I mean, I had a divorce that was pretty messy mm-hmm. and I still feel that loss. Yeah. My life has expanded in such great ways and I wouldn't want to go back, but I still yeah. feel that. And I think I, yeah. I will always feel that and just honoring that and saying, it's okay. This is just where, what brought me to who I am today. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. I honor that feeling. I know that loss. It's oh, It's okay to feel that. And it's okay to celebrate where I'm at.
0: I like that. Yeah. And you go whatever direction you want, but that widow effect is okay. I'm fascinated by that because yeah. <laughs> and I want to make some joke about the guy on up because apparently he he was able to survive, right? In that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Resilient. <laughs> exactly. There you go. That was. But how does that work? I don't know anything about it, I guess. I I've heard the concept, but I is there science around it or what what is that?
1: There, There is. So Mary Frances O'Connor is a doctor that studies with fMRIs a lot mm. with grief and loss and what the brain is actually doing. And she's got a really good book called The Grieving Brain. But she talks about how we map things. We map people and places and relationships. So it, it goes into three things, time, space, and closeness. Time in that, what times do you spend with this person? How much time do you spend this person? Space and what space do they take up in your life? What proximity do you have and closeness? How close am I in this relationship? And when somebody dies, that's not too close to you. You're like, oh, that's really sad. And that's horrible. And you may feel bad. But if you're spending the bulk of your time with this person and you're really close to them, it yeah. has a deeper impact typically. So in the case of the widow effect with older people, if you've spent 50 years with somebody and they've shown up at five o'clock every day, coming home from work, Your brain has mapped that at five o'clock, you can hear those keys and you're going to hear the little footsteps or whatever, and they're going to come in and they're going to greet you and you're going to have that warm feeling. And I feel loved. So I sit with people and I tell them about the science of their brain. And I've had several clients say, thank you, Marla, for telling me that. Like I thought I was going crazy that I was the only one experiencing this. And I said, no, you're going to keep, and your brain is going to keep reminding you. It Remember, it's a prediction engine want I, mm. I, I like to predict what's going on so I know at five o'clock it's coming and I'm gonna get mm. my little dopamine hit from my loved one coming in and so it tells you hey they're coming home when we know big they're they're gone they're not coming home so mm. logically we know they're not going to do it but our brain is reminding us they should be with that widow effect I think there's just so much going on there they have so much wrapped up in one another that it's like i don't want to keep living my heart hurts too much i can't i can't go on everything mm-hmm. reminds me of you
0: yeah you know? it's wild that the brain will then to say so i think we're going to we're just going to shut down now i mean that's so we're just that's done. so wild Man. yeah
1: there are individuals that die within hours of each other they're perfectly healthy so
0: yeah that it one is, it seems like, really a like a little more like a Dateline NBC, though, if it's ours. Was there a little yeah. something else <laughs> going on there? I remember uh, when I had Aspen Drake and she had came on and talked about this and, and uh, her mom, who was a wonderful person, had passed away. And, and they had started a grief and loss podcast briefly just to talk about it. And it was it was beautiful. But I remember what I learned from her. Was that Elizabeth Kubler Ross's stages weren't evidence based? That apparently it was just a, a project she had worked on. Yeah. But man, I would have yeah. thought otherwise because so many people know, you know, the DABDA denial, anger, bargaining, what uh, depression and acceptance, yeah. and then and just and I've watched people try to make sense of it, and I think at first I had this. Mm-hmm. It, it must be evidence-based. Then I felt like it was my job to point out that it wasn't, but that was when I was in a real annoying, make it about me therapist. And now, you know, I feel like, okay, <laughs> if it's a, if it is the framework, which we operate from just to give words and meaning to where you're at, I really like that. So what do you think about that model? Are there other, I don't even know if there other models. I mean, that's the one I hear often, but what do you, what do you think?
1: Yeah, there is that model. And she started it a long time ago. And actually David Kessler, who's like another player on the grief field has done a lot of work. He's added a sixth stage to the Cooper mm. Ross and that sixth, sixth stage. I really enjoy. I, I really like this one. And I think it's where we should all be aiming to go, which is reconstruction. And I'm going to put air quotes around this moving on because
0: okay. <laughs> oh, I think there should okay. be a
1: better word than moving on because it's a growth. I think the reconstruction of your life, mm-hmm. I've sat with some individuals for months doing the grief work, you know, seeing them and watching them grow. But there is this point this like magic point where I think an individual is like, okay, I've done enough of this. Like yeah. my life is not going anywhere and I, I need to kind of grow and expand. And they come in and they're like, I'm just done. Like, I don't want to talk <laughs> about this anymore. And and I'm like, yeah. yes. and it, it's this point of, I need to build my life. What does my life look like now that I've got this hole <laughs> and and yeah. how do I grow around it? And how do I c- celebrate the, the growth honor the loss, and still be healthy in some Mm. ways. And so I like that stage. All the other ones you just kind of weave in and out in kind of a messy way. There's not a a way to do it. And you can hit some of them and stay stuck. Like that prolonged grief, I think, is that depression stage where you just can't go on. And you want to stay there. Some people stay in the anger stage or the denial stage. I'm just, I'm not going to accept this. Whatever the loss is, I don't want to do that. And I see that a lot with like divorce, even mm, like yeah. I'm not accepting this divorce. Like I'm just going to keep working. I did that myself personally, yeah. you know, and I okay. drug it out forever thinking I'm not going <laughs> to accept this, you know, and I was angry and I'm going to bargain my way through it. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. And so, so honoring that you're going to hit all of that is is good. And you may not yeah. hit any of it. You may hit just one of them and be yeah. done.
0: Rumor had it that that sixth one he first had, it was called Get Over It. So I I guess moving on was better. I'm kidding. I made that up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's way better than Get Over It. (laughs) I I like that. So I'm saying reconstruction. I think the reconstruction is probably the best out of all three. I was
0: thinking about, I like when you're saying that reconstruction or or when somebody is moving on. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I feel like the unspoken benefit or maybe it's probably spoken of going to a therapist is when we're going around to everybody else and we're and expressing I'm sad this is hard it makes other people uncomfortable. So what do they do to get rid of their discomfort? They give you the, hey, but you know, time will heal or at least you still have your kids Mm -hmm. or all the things that they say from a very well-meaning place to get rid of their discomfort. But then all it does is make you feel unheard, unseen. And I think so much of it is when people come to therapy and they express things and they have somebody that isn't telling them what to do or how to feel, that it really is part of that. I think that unpacking and unburdening process, I think that is when people eventually feel like, okay, I, I feel plenty heard. I feel plenty seen. But at some point it's like, mm-hmm. I think I'm ready. So I love that. I, I did not know that sixth stage. And I think that that is a benefit of just going to talk therapy and, and having a safe space where people aren't telling you what to do and how you're supposed to think and feel.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I've had a number of clients come in and they're like, these are the things not to say. You know? <laughs> they just rattle yeah. off the list of everything that their like, loved ones and their friends and their family <sighs> have told them. You know, And one of them is like, get over it. Yeah, You know, or something better is coming, you know, or they're in a better place. They don't want to hear those things, you know, and a lot of that, I think it goes back to what I talked about in the beginning, which your sense of self is completely shattered Mm. in in ways. And you're trying to figure out who you are again, but the people that are around you that love you are also trying to figure out who you are because you're changed. You're forever changed in in some way. And so they're trying, we're, you're both trying to navigate this relationship again with one another. And you're Mm -hmm. tiptoeing around each other. And you want it because of your own discomfort. You want your friend to just go back to being normal.
0: Yes. And you don't know
1: what to do. So we can put our foot in our mouth a lot and we can step (laughs) into it a lot by just wanting our own discomfort rather than just sitting Mm -hmm. with our friend and being like, go ahead. Tell me about it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Show
1: up. I'll listen to that loss.
0: Okay. So I do remember... I, was, I think I was brand new. Actually, I'll tell you two quick stories, Marla, and then I want to just hand it back over to you because these okay. are my ADHD brain wants to get rid of these really bad yeah. or else then I won't be paying Go attention. For it. Go uh, okay, but one, one of them is the, and I like what you were saying about uh, just being able to, to sit with it, tell me more. And I think I was maybe still in grad mm-hmm. school and one of my neighbors uh, wife is, ha- had passed away and we all loved her and everybody was just doing the part where we were saying we're so sorry and let us know if there's anything we can do. And I just had somebody had spoken in a class about they want to be able to express themselves people do and so I just said hey what's this like for you he just opened up and I remember I felt like oh well it's because I'm in grad school and I'm a therapist now I can say these things but then I just felt like oh no that's something that anybody can do if they're willing to be uncomfortable but that's okay Okay, and then the last story or then I want to hear okay the culture stuff I have to tell you too when you're talking about there's no wrong way to do this what was wild is one of the very first people I ever worked with when I was in my internship is what they used to call it. So as an associate and uh, somebody came in and their spouse had had recently passed and I thought, okay, this would be good because they're going to come in and I can say, man, that must be hard. I was ready for it. But they came in and this it was like, as soon as the door was closed and I was like, oh man, that must be really hard. And they said, no, they were a really mean person. And so I almost feel guilty because I have, almost wished this because and now I feel bad because everybody's saying this must be hard and it isn't and I just remember thinking Mm -hmm. wow that's a a fascinating Mm -hmm. way to start as a therapist of it it really can look any way for any person
1: yeah definitely yeah that I think one thing that I've learned from that is is let the client just tell what they need to do there's nothing that I'm gonna say that's gonna make this better but you know culturally we all experience it very differently and Mm. they will be good at telling you how they're experiencing, Mm, yeah, you know, and then just helping them understand that that's okay. I mean, I've sat with people who have watched a loved one die and taking care of somebody who is dying is really hard. It's difficult. You know, it's taxing. It's a lot of work. And, you know, they fall on a spectrum of, I enjoy that too. Like it's, I don't want to do it. So Mm. when somebody does die, there is that component of like, I am released from that. Yeah, and so you do have lots of feelings about it. As far as am I a bad person because I'm a, I'm happy that they're gone and I don't have to do this, mm. or yeah. gosh, I don't know what to do because my whole life was taking care of this person while they. And so there's a ton of emotion to unpack with like anticipatory grief, I think, mm. and then grief itself, or even just the anticipating the loss of something like a, a divorce or a relationship or a job. Um, yeah so it's it's it is really interesting, but culturally, I think to remember that like we all are going to experience it different. You know, religion plays a huge role in it also or oh. spirituality. We don't experience loss the same, depending on those kinds of of backgrounds that we have.
0: Mm-hmm. you know what Marla, I, what's that I like that you brought up the religion cuz a religious person a spiritual person I might even edit this out depending on the tone of this cuz I love what the interview <laughs> so far but there are times where I've almost found that that it can be so comforting and it can really help with the process but then as a person now that I don't know 15 1600 couples later sometimes where then people almost to say well I, I don't need to worry about working on my relationship or I don't need to worry about because it it'll be better in the next life. And uh, so I do find that that is a really interesting thing and where people then sometimes will, and really is probably doesn't have a place in this interview, but I think I'll probably keep it just for fun as I'm saying that out loud. (laughs) Cause 'cause it's like, I maybe it is that that part where I love when it can provide comfort and it can really help people Mm -hmm. with a difficult thing. But then it is interesting where that same thing can be used as a, well, you know, this, what am I supposed to do? So that literally has nothing to do with your interview. Marla back to you.
1: You know? No it does because like you know I have <laughs> okay. studied like a, a fair bit of like grief and loss because I had so many clients I really mm. kind of dug into it and it was interesting that religion and spirituality did play a huge role in rebounding from grief okay. and loss those who are religious do better
0: mm.
1: with it they seem to rebound quicker from it mm-hmm. and if you think about it you know you've got a community to rally around you We do better when we are social We're social creatures, when we feel supported, when we feel wanted and and, and those things. So religion does and spirituality does bring a sense of community and help to something. Mm -hmm. Some of the people that I've seen struggle the most are those who are alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it can be even more deafening when you've lost something significant and you're alone on top of that.
0: Yeah. Also, the concept of funeral potatoes. I'd never had those until I had gone to like (laughs) my first... uh, (laughs) like after a funeral potluck they were they're amazing yeah.
1: yeah they're amazing something so bad and and, and amazing all wrapped it up
0: isn't that That's life though sure. Mark right yeah okay hey do you have yeah, any exactly. other thoughts that we haven't gotten to today before we wrap things up
1: i would just say just be compassionate to yourself it's it's a journey loss and grief and grieving that loss is it's really difficult stuff but be able to sit with the emotions welcome them in Hi, I'm angry. It's okay. (laughs) You know, and then I I like act too. So go get busy doing something that will like honor that and move me in a good way. The more we sit in that, the more our brain is great at just telling us all kinds of stories and and negative things. So just be compassionate. We are all dealing with that. And if you have a loved one that is, is grieving or has some serious loss, show up, listen, don't Mm -hmm. try to fix it and just be patient. They'll, they'll work it out. But I love what you said about, you know, just saying, how are you experiencing this? What is Mm -hmm. it like for you? You know, not assuming and putting your own judgments on them, I think is super helpful too.
0: I like it. I do. Marla, and I, I'm going to say this, I'm sure I said it in the opening that I will record after we record this episode, but you are accepting mm-hmm. clients and you are excited yes. and eager and you yes. work with everything, not just grief, but you do couples work, you, you do individual work. And, yes. and I think I, I just want to say right now, it's the but you know, buy, buy Marla stock now because you just are now available and you've got <laughs> openings and yes. good therapists are really, really hard to come by. So kind of excited to see where you go with yeah. that. So people can just reach out through there'll be an email address in the show notes or you can reach out at contact at tonyoverbay.com and we'll get social media links of yours up there too. And then I don't know whether you okay. know it or not. This is your first of very many episodes coming on the virtual couch, just like I get your husband on board and waking up the Amazing. narcissism and I can't wait for all of it. Yeah. It's gonna be exciting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm excited. Okay. Thank well, you, Hey, thank thanks you. for coming
0: on Marla. All right. Well, I will no, literally you see having. you when I open the door and walk out into the hallway. So okay. that'll be fun.
1: <laughs> Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end, the pressures of the daily grinding. she said